0: Hey there, e-commerce enthusiasts. Let me tell you about a game changer in shipping, ShipStation. It's the ultimate platform for simplifying your shipping process. With ShipStation, you can easily import, manage, and ship your orders in no time. It integrates seamlessly with your favorite e-commerce platforms and carriers, ensuring a smooth workflow. Gain valuable insights with their powerful analytics and reporting tools. Say goodbye to shipping headaches. Visit foxcitiesmm.com. Slash ship and level up your shipping game today. You're listening to Fox City's Murder and Mayhem. Your bi-weekly dose of true crime history in a small rural community of Wisconsin. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Fox City's Murder and Mayhem. I'm Eric. I'm Gavin. I'm Gavin. We're back again. Yes. Where are we venturing to today?
1: Let's say Nina. Nina. We're actually going to be in Vinland, but I don't know if anybody knows where that is.
0: I don't know where that is.
1: Okay. So it's by Nina? It's between Nina and Oshkosh. Yeah. Really? Yeah.
0: Never heard of it. Yep. How many How many people live there?
1: Two? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. If you're driving on the road that goes along the lake between okay. Nina and Oshkosh, you're going through Vinland. Um, but I don't know how many people actually call that their home, not sure, not sure, yeah okay. <laughs> I mean it's just the area outside city limits. I'm not sure
0: yeah, it's weird when you when you hear of a city that's probably twenty thirty minutes away from you and you never realized it existed. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just cracks me up, but yeah, anyway, so. So we're 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 going to Vinland, yes. and this story is not going to be nearly as well written as the last story because it's not a, a it's true submitted <laughs> it's true. But we're going to do the best we can.
1: Yeah, we'll try. And actually, I'm really surprised we haven't done this story. This is a pretty well known story, and I've run into this in the past. We're like, I'll start writing a story, I'll be working on it like 15 minutes, and I'll be like, Oh crap, we did this one. <laughs> like I've had that happen because I. I can't remember everything that we do, you know? And then this one, I was like, I don't think we did it. And I checked and it's not in, you know, it's not on the website. So I'm like, I guess we didn't do it. And then I, so I put it together and I'm like, I don't remember putting it together. So I'm pretty sure we've not done this, (laughs) but it is a, it is a fairly well-known story.
0: So, was this uh, was this something new to you recently? Or, or no. Or you've known about this for a long time, so you're not really sure why it just never got put into it. I've episode? known
1: about this, I don't know, 10 years? I've known about it a while. And, uh, yeah, like I said, it's pretty well not, Like, it's not- Listeners going to be like, I've never heard of that. Well, no, I mean, it's not like- Nobody talks about it anymore, but it's been written about oh. it before. So, this isn't like I'm breaking news here. <laughs> <laughs> All
0: right, so we're- Take her away. And
1: it's a very historical episode. For those people Ooh. who like those, you're going to like this. Those For are, those that don't, Those sorry. are Gavin's favorite episodes. Yeah. So. Sorry. You're going to learn some stuff. Winnebago County was broken off from Brown County in 1840 when it only had a population of 135 people. Not much. Wow. Yeah. Kind okay.
0: of kind of surprising that they felt like, oh, we need to break this off into its own county. Yeah. It, well, like it had gotten so big that... <laughs> yeah.
1: Oh, no. We hit 100 people. <laughs> we
0: got to break it nah. off.
1: County government was formed two years later, um, even though the place was mostly just scattered log cabins. In the autumn of 1846, the Partridge family arrived. Yes, the Partridge <laughs> family.
0: And they started an astounding music career. Mm -hmm.
1: (laughs) Elvin, Lucia, or Lucia, but I'm going to say Lucia, uh, a young daughter and a newborn son. They were Protestants with roots in Ohio. Being late in the year, they had little more than a shanty that first winter, and Elvin paid $50 for 40 acres of land to farm. Seems like a good deal. Yeah,
0: I mean... I think most people would scoop that up nowadays, right?
1: Yeah. In the spring, Elvin's father, Wakeman Partridge, arrived from Ohio and bought another 180 acres of land for $200. In September, Elvin mortgaged his property to another man and used that money to purchase another 162 acres between Vinland and Clayton. Um, and Clayton, I think you probably know where Clayton is, right?
0: I've heard of Clayton. Okay. I don't know that I would know when I'm in Clayton, but yeah.
1: Yeah, Clayton's a little bit more established than Vinland, but it's another one of those smaller communities in the Nina area. We go fast forward to 1850. Winnebago County's population is now around 10,000 people. I mean, imagine that. So, in 10 years, we go from okay, 135 people to
0: 10,000 people. Wow, that is some massive growth.
1: Yeah, people are moving in.
0: And I got to imagine that this family made a killing off of that property.
1: Oh, that yeah. They just
0: bought at that point.
1: Oh, yeah. So Oshkosh, which is in Winnebago County in 1850, had 1,392 people. Huge city. <laughs> Huge. Uh, and the partridges made their living by selling wheat, corn, potatoes, butter, and other things to the people in Oshkosh, because the people in Oshkosh lived in the city and they didn't have their own farms. So they had to rely on the people, not in the city, to give them everything they needed. So the partridges did very well. On April 9, 1850, Elvin and Lucia took their children maple sugaring in the woods near their farm in Vinland. Their four-year-old son, Casper, wandered away and was never seen alive again. At the time, relations between white settlers and the Menominee Indians were very tense. The federal government was trying to force the Menominee off the Wisconsin homeland. The tribe resisted through legal action. Disputes over tribal boundaries and annuity payments increased anxiety among the settlers. In this tense environment, rumors spread through the white community that the Menominee Indians had stolen Casper, and kidnapped him and done terrible things to him, because that's that's what they would do, right?
0: Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, I I think that's what our history books tell us they did, right?
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Elvin, the father, hired Archibald Caldwell to ask around about Casper Caldwell, who we actually talked about uh, on our episode about Stroby Island way back when. So people go back and listen to the Stroby Island episode. Uh, was a trader who married a trader, not a trader, a trader (laughs) like he was trading goods,
0: uh,
1: who married a Menominee woman and could speak the language. He was sent to the Rat River, which is north of Winchester, but the roving camp of Menominee there had already moved on for the season. Elvin personally made inquiries at Winnicani, and he could find nothing. A $2,000 reward, which is an insane amount of money at that time, was offered, but no one said a thing. Eventually they gave up hope and had a funeral with nobody. The partridges continued to be prosperous and had some minor political influence. Uh because there aren't a whole lot of people in Winnebago County, they were able to get some nice political jobs like the overseer of roads. <laughs> you know?
0: Clever name. <laughs>
1: You know, like, oh, we're building a lot of roads. We should have a guy at the county whose job is to oversee that. So, probably a nice position to have. Eighteen months later, in the fall of 1851, Elvin Partridge's sister, Maria, spotted a light-skinned boy with a Menominee family near Wapaca. Maria, although not close to her nephew, swore that boy was Casper. Twenty-two white men invaded the Menominee camp and seized the child, who was named Okawa. The men summoned Elvin Partridge to identify the boy, but he was not sure that it was his missing son. He's like, I'm not sure about this one, guys. (laughs) Other members of the Partridge family were certain that Okawa was Casper. Elvin's brother, Frederick, identified him by the shape of his skull. He was able to feel his head and determine Oh, yeah, this is
0: definitely him. (laughs) This is him.
1: The Reverend Cutting Marsh uh, helped with explaining things to the Menominee, but he spoke Ojibwe, not Menominee, so the conversation was not great. (laughs) Um, And a little note that I have here is Ojibwe and Menominee are both Algonquian languages, um, so there is some overlap, but it's like, you know, if you speak French, someone else speaks Spanish. Like, they're both based, they're Latin-based languages. But you're not necessarily going to understand right. everything the other person's saying. Mm-hmm. So so Ojibwe and Menominee are not completely different, but they're, they're not the same thing.
0: But they're probably, and they're probably more different than we realize. Like, like
1: Right. It, means- and as someone who doesn't speak either, I, can't, I couldn't <laughs> tell you how close <laughs> they are. I'm just... The point of the Megan, is that they are based off the same thing, but I don't know how distinct they are. Mm-hmm. Elvin, the father, was ready to return the boy, but his family, particularly his brother, obtained a writ of habeas corpus from Judge Jedediah Brown in Oshkosh to prevent Okawa from being returned to the Menominee. So they got a judge to intervene and say, "This is this is our boy. Okay. So... Uh, that's great. That's cool. (laughs) The Green Bay Superintendent of Indian Affairs, Elias Murray, was alerted to the situation in January 1852, so a couple months later. Slow, news travel's very slow. He had jurisdiction over the Menominee, as well as the Oneida and Stockbridge. His sub-agent, George Law, who I know is the father of Kakana. (laughs) That's what George Law is called now. He's the father of Kikana. <laughs> Saw the matter as a kidnapping, as did Father Bondiwell, a priest who was friends with the Menominee. And before anybody asks, yes, Bondawell is named after <laughs> Father <Bonduel>. Okay, <laughs> I know you were just dying to ask. In February 1852, a six-day trial was held in Oshkosh to determine Okawa's true parents— presiding was Court Commissioner Edwin Buttrick, who was only 26 years old. He was filling in for the judge who was sick. In their testimony, members of the Partridge family pointed to a general physical resemblance between Casper and Okawa. Menominee elders, Catholic missionaries, and white traders disagreed. They all swore that they had known the child since his birth, and he was not Casper Partridge. One person testifying for the Menominee was Augustin Greeno, the famed Kikana fur trader. He, <laughs> I'm. I'm, do, I'm doing this because every time I say cacao, I take a drink, but I have no <laughs> drink to drink from. He testified in French that he knew the child and his mother for many years from the sugar bush camp on the Rat River. One witness claimed the child was the son of Archibald Caldwell, and that's why he was lighter skinned than other Menominee. Caldwell took the stand and acknowledged that. He knew the mother and the child in the tribe, and he had heard from other members of the tribe that they did, in fact, believe that he was the father. Buttrick called Caldwell into his office privately, and there Caldwell admitted that he had, quote, criminal conversations with the mother of the child, and he himself also believed the child was his. And criminal conversation, I looked this up. (laughs) This is this is like a, a legal term. I don't know if anybody uses it anymore. But criminal conversation is the old fancy way of saying committing adultery. Okay. So it's basically yes, he admitted that even though he had his own Menominee wife, yes, I was also sleeping with this other woman. <laughs> so he's like, Yeah, that, that could be that could be my kid. <laughs> Coldwell's a an interesting cat, man. I don't know. So, yeah, again, go back and check out that Stroby Island episode. <laughs> Strange guy. Buttrick, uh, the court commissioner, ruled in favor of the Menominee and ordered Okawa returned return to his Menominee mother, and the Partridges had to pay the court costs. Before that could occur, vigilantes took the boy away to Partridge property out of state.
0: So, basically, basically he gets... They uh, steal the kid and take him out of state to some... Partridge family estate that's not in Wisconsin. Correct. Okay.
1: George Law, Father Bondiwell, and others were outraged. Law made his Indian agent superiors aware of the news, uh, and Bondiwell took it as a sign of the anti Catholicism of the new settlers. This is Bondiwell is another interesting guy <laughs> where. Um, he, the way he sees this whole thing is different than everyone else sees it. You know, everyone says, like, oh, there's tension between the whites and the natives. And, and Wells like, it's because these people aren't Catholic. <laughs> they just hate Catholics. <laughs> Which I'm sure that was exactly <laughs> what it yeah, was, yes. Yeah. Because at this point in time, the Menominee, I think still today, but the Menominee were largely Catholic because the French had gotten there first and converted them to Catholicism. So when the new white non-Catholic settlers moved in, they had different beliefs than the Menominee. That's a whole side note, but like I said, this is a history episode, so you get what you get. Other whites siding with the Partridges vowed never to support Buttrick if he ran for judge or other political office. This pledge successfully crushed Buttrick and the openly racist clerk of court ran in his place. That clerk of court, a man named Densmore, however, was defeated in a landslide the following year by yet another man, Edwin Wheeler. But either way, yeah, Buttrick, as the court commissioner, was expected to run and succeed the judge that uh, had gotten sick. But after this, he lost a lot of political support because they're like, how dare you support the Menominee over us? Even though, um, obviously, I'm not there sitting in on this. But based on what I could read about it, and and it's a pretty well, the notes are very good about what was going on in trial. This seems to me that this is not their son. Like, I,
0: yeah. at all. Based on what you told me, it sounds like it's probably that guy, the adulterer's yeah. son.
1: <laughs> yeah, like there's nothing in here to make me think that this could possibly be Kel- uh, Casper. You know, like, oh, he disappears for like 18 months and suddenly he speaks Menominee and, you know, has to be recognized by his head shape. Like, no, that's that's completely implausible. Mm In May 1853, a child's decomposed remains were discovered on the Partridge family's Wisconsin farm. The remains were assumed to be those of Casper Partridge. This uh, was kind of disconcerting because it suggested that Casper never actually left the farm the day that he went missing. <laughs> he had been dead on the property the whole time. So uh, what happened there? I don't know. But So they have no idea how he s-
0: died or anything like that? They couldn't surmise that from the remains or anything?
1: It's not in the record, so I don't know. But it's it doesn't look good at all. The discovery prompted federal officials to track Okawa to McHenry, Illinois, where they seized him in December 1854. So now they're like, we definitely know he's not Casper, because Casper is dead. So we're going to reopen this and track you down out of state. So they find the Partridges in McHenry, Illinois, take him back. They seized him in December 1854. Um, this was kind of a rough year for the Menominee, because in 1854, the Menominee had almost been forced to move to Minnesota. But... Uh, Thanks to Chief Oshkosh and some others, they were able to fight and get their own uh, reservation in Wisconsin. Uh, I throw this in there simply because had they moved to Minnesota in 1854, I'm not sure how much the government would have tried to track Okawa down. That might have been a deciding factor because if the Menominee didn't live in the territory where the Indian agents were, the Indian agents don't care about the Menominee. Mhm like when you have a, the agents in green bay are specifically assigned to the tribes in the green bay area if the menominee is not in the green bay area the agents don't care about them mhm so
0: another interesting I, I don't know if gavin you recall this but we kind of talked about this story of chief Chief oshkosh fighting for the reservation we
1: did have a chief oshkosh story yeah, yeah.
0: and that was all in there so and i actually think that might have been one of the episodes that we ran as a rerun in december so well so there we go if not it was running as, as a rerun at some point last time last year so if that sounds familiar to any of the listeners that's why
1: yeah and I'm not going to go off on a tangent here, but in general, I think Chief Oshkosh is a fascinating character. Like, everybody knows that Oshkosh is named after Chief Oshkosh, but I don't think almost anybody knows who he was.
0: Yeah, and what he did.
1: Yeah, so really interesting guy. The officials were on their way to northern Wisconsin to reunite the boy with his Menominee mother when the Partridges filed an injunction to stop them. Before a legal hearing could be held, Family members kidnapped the boy again in Milwaukee. Chief Oshkosh, through interpreter Charles Charles Greeno of Kakona, gave an interview to the press saying that this was just one more way that the whites continued to screw over his people. He didn't say screw over, that's my <laughs> term, but that's basically the point he was making. In eighteen fifty-five. Uh, The Indian agents hired the Pinkerton Detective Agency to track down Okawa, but he was not found. Uh, Pinkerton Detective Agency was a private eye group, and it was a huge nationwide organization. I mean, this is the 1800s, so there's no FBI or anything yet. So the Pinkertons were kind of like contractors for the government. They did a lot of like railroad investigations and stuff. So the big deal when you get them involved, but they weren't able to find the kid. This kidnapping was a successful kidnapping. Today, we actually know that the family was in Steuben County, Indiana, not long after they moved to Kansas and got caught up in the abolitionist movement of John Brown, uh, were involved in the Pottawatomie massacre there and other fights of the so-called Bleeding Kansas period. Now, the Partridges, despite the fact that this story does not paint them in a good light, actually, they come out being some pretty big figures in the anti-slavery movement. So, not that that redeems them for kidnapping a boy, but um, they, they did some good things, too. But yeah, the Pinkertons weren't able to find them today, thanks to the power of the internet and like all the census records, everything being online. It's actually not that hard to track down where they were, but at that point in time, what could, could you do? do. Yeah, yeah. to
0: call every basic census thing and probably do it manually, right, which would have probably just taken an unbearable amount of time.
1: Yeah, it's like, oh, they only moved to Indiana? That's not that far. No, it's not that far, but, I mean, think of the thousands <laughs> so of different cities they'd have to they check have to call, find yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. Now we know what happened. Despite repeated efforts, neither the federal government nor the Menominee were able to recover Okawa again. Okawa was renamed Joseph Partridge. He grew up in Kansas, served in the Civil War, and according to his family, spent most of his adult life plagued with mental health and financial problems. He wandered unhappily throughout the Midwest until his death near New Lisbon, Wisconsin in 1916. I don't know exactly where where New Lisbon is. He was buried in Camp Douglas, Wisconsin, under yet another name, Joseph F. Parker. Which, I don't know if they've corrected that, but originally when he was buried, they wrote the wrong name on the tombstone. <laughs> which I guess even his, the name he used was wrong name, but either way. So, yeah.
0: So that's the story, huh?
1: That's the story of the partridges. Uh,
0: so basically what I get from this is that, there's this family. Mm-hmm. They think they think being the imperative term, right? That their family is kidnapped. Yes, their, their kid is kidnapped. Yes, they immediately blame it on the Menominee Indians because of the turbulence between the the Native Americans and the white people at this point in time. That's yep. just what you do, right? Yep. <laughs> and from all we can tell, if with when once they find the de- the remains on their property Mm -hmm. of what we assume is the child. Mm -hmm. Is there anything to suggest that the Native Americans were responsible for that, or, or is there really no information about that?
1: Well, there's no information about that, because the day the boy went missing, it's not like they actually saw him being taken, and they didn't see them with the boy unless you believe that this other boy was him. At no point in time that I can tell is there ever a connection at all. Mm-hmm. It's like that's that's what you come to the conclusion is. Like, oh, my boy wandered off in the woods. We can't find him. I guess he was taken. <laughs> like, I, you know, maybe at the time, like, maybe that doesn't sound as bad as it sounds now. But to me, it sounds pretty bad.
0: Yeah. It,
1: because if you, if you remove all the... You know the politics, all the race part of it, and you just like boil it down to like just the bare facts. That there's nothing to back that up. First of all, but then the second part is like you kidnapped a boy, and mm-hmm. like, and I think like they're going in we like well, even if we did, it was just a Menominee boy. Like, <laughs> like they, I don't think they said <laughs> it that bluntly, but I think but, that's kind of their but, point. Yeah. And it's like, like that's that doesn't matter, like. You kidnapped the child. Like, that's not okay.
0: You know, and and you would think that at the point in time where, okay, they discover these remains, they have the Menominee child. So, they must have at that point in time realized this Menominee child was probably not actually their kid and the remains they <laughs> found on their property was their kid. And the fact that they go back and kidnap it, the kid again, I mean, is that... Like you said, just because they believe, well, it's just a Menominee boy. And, I don't and know. You know what I mean? Like, that's... I don't some,
1: know, but it's weird because, yeah, like, from what... Like, the record is pretty thorough. And it seems that the father of the boy was not really ever convinced that it was his own son. But the other family members were like, yeah, that's, 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 him. that's him. And the Okawa, or Joseph later on, like, his family... His he had his own children at, at later in life, and they always maintained that he was Menominee. Like mm-hmm. like his own family didn't think that he was a white kid. <laughs> so, like it's not like this was like super debatable. Like everybody knew. Like they were like, look at him. Like like so- this dude is Menominee. He is not like a white kid from Ohio.
0: So basically, the partridges more or less said, "Well, you killed our kid, so we're gonna take your kid." It it almost seems like was their mentality. With yeah, this. I like, mean,
1: there's uh, who knows what's all going on here. You know, they're they're grieving, so they're not thinking straight, whatever. But yeah, when you boil it down, there's not a whole lot here to justify I, the partridges' like, there's actions just not, whatsoever. Yeah.
0: Anyway, but they don't really have anything about, so when they find these remains, they don't have anything about what could have happened to this child?
1: That part is just barely mentioned at all, and it's weird because it seems like at the time they're discovered, the family had already moved
0: on, so there wasn't a whole lot of follow-up with it, but it is weird, yeah, like, there's... Because you, I, I would imagine they can look at these remains and at least, well, it could have been an animal attack. It could have been, yeah. you know, like I'm sure at this point in time, Native Americans and the white people used very different weapons. So yeah. if this kid was killed, they could derive a pretty good idea yeah. of wh- who, like, who killed it, or if it was an animal, or if it was a Native American, if it was a white person. They probably like, could, but yeah, it, it's it, not,
1: it's not really in, not really in the record. I don't know. But there, this is this is eighteen fifties, so the court records are surprisingly well kept, and there's newspapers going back this far. There were newspapers in Wisconsin all the way back to eighteen thirties. I mean, there, there were there were newspapers very early on, but if it wasn't covered in the paper, you know, and it might not have been. It, it might the my only mention might have been, oh, they found some remains today. And then they never follow up on it.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: So I'm guessing that they probably did something, some kind of investigation. But I don't know what. And I don't think there's any record of that remaining today. And I'm not even exactly sure what the investigation would be. Because I don't believe there was any actual police force at this time.
0: Yeah. So, like, who's going to... Even they're doing an investigation. <laughs> Who's doing the investigation, really? Yeah. Like, it's, so,
1: it's, this is a little bit of a tangent, but it's like, this is, again, this is a historical episode. Before, like, the police departments were really like a thing, all you could really do was just sue people. Okay. All the time. And, you know, you'd sue them for damages. You'd be like, oh, you you injured me with your you hit me with your tractor you know i so you instead of like saying you know arresting them for assault you would sue them and have the courts determine some kind of an action to to get back at them like there that was all you could do so like as far as like these remains go unless there was somebody to point to and blame i don't know that they really could have done much of anything about it
0: mm. and if the family Wasn't going to sue them, they probably went to pursuit very much figuring out like what actually happened and stuff like that. So I could see where that could go as being just kind of a mystery because it wasn't really relevant at that point in time, yeah. So it's an interesting story, and once again, one of those things that I mean, we're talking half hour, 40 minutes away from where we're sitting right now. This happened, yeah, you know. And amazing thing, and I like that you pulled the Chief Oshkosh back into it too. So yeah, you know, hey, when familiar
1: names there. you know pop up, you got to mention them. So, mm-hmm.
0: so do you have a do you have any forecasting of what the next episode might be about, or are you still kind of still working on? You want to give everybody I, a little? Well,
1: I can't say a hundred percent. There's a handful of things that I'm working on, but none that have been determined to be completely. The one. I got a story about uh, a teenage girl who's in and out of foster homes and uh, goes on a crime spree. I got a story about a, <laughs> a, a pair of nuns committing assisted suicide. Um, oh, okay. <laughs> uh, I, got, uh, I got a guy who was uh, killed for his welfare checks. A disabled man who was killed for his welfare checks. Um... I mean, there's some stuff. There's some stuff sounds, coming sounds,
0: up. Sounds like we got some pretty good ones coming around yeah, the corner. Some, I mean,
1: there's some good ones coming. I think.
0: To be honest, they might not be the Appleton UFO Center, but they're there's yeah, some pretty good ones. So. Yeah. So. I
1: think they'll be all right. <laughs> I think they'll be all right. Yeah, there's plenty of ones that I just gotta sit down and and put together. So, um, but you know, this time two weeks from now, I can't tell you right now what it'll be, but. I think people will be happy to hear whatever it is.
0: Yeah. So we don't know what it will be, but from what you can hear right there, it's probably going to be somewhat interesting. Yeah. So so stay tuned to that. We'll see you all back here in two weeks with another episode. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you very much. Thanks for tuning in to Fox City's Murder and Mayhem. Join us in two weeks for another exciting episode of Murder and Mayhem.